Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Creative Source. I don't know why I'm excited this week. Actually, I do. I totally do. But um, I'll tell you about that a little bit later on. Actually, uh, some of you who are a bit more technically minded might be able to hear something different, which is the reason I'm excited. Anyways, I'll talk about that a bit later. First of all, welcome back, you guys. And thank you to everyone who has supported this podcast. Thank you, A, for the reviews. B, for all your lovely comments and DMs that you've been sending me saying how useful the podcast has been to you. Thank you to the guys who financially supported the podcast as well. It all makes such a difference. And it is very much in keeping with this week's topic, which is money. Now, as I was prepping this podcast, I realized there is so much to say about this. So most likely this is going to end up being a two, maybe even a three-parter, but let's just see how it goes. This topic is also not just about money we earn, but how we manage it, how we spend it. It's a huge area of our lives. And particularly, it's a particularly sort of... um, I don't know, triggering one maybe is that that sounds that's a bit of a stronger word, but you know it is it's really emotive basically, and particularly for us as creatives because we're not on the nine to five, you know we're not necessarily getting a paycheck landing in our bank accounts at the end of every month that we can rely on, and therefore that we can plan around you know people who have that they can say, all right, in July we're going to take a holiday because we know we'll have saved this amount of money or we'll spend the money and we know we're going to earn such and such afterwards to pay it back. As creatives, especially if we're um, working professionally as creatives, we just don't have that. 
And the other thing uh, I feel about money is that it's one of our greatest resources alongside, or not greatest, but most important resource alongside time, because those two resources just make so much possible. And often it's almost like they're interchangeable in a way, because, you know, often we'll say, you know, people say time is money, or if you haven't got the time, you pay somebody to do something that you need doing. So, you know, for example, with me, I not don't have time, but I don't want to spend time cleaning, right? So I pay somebody to do that. I'm not just buying um, cleaning, I'm buying time because the time I'm not spending cleaning, I'm spending writing. And so therefore forwarding my career and using other people's services to be able to help me do that. So I'm using my money to buy myself some time. Also, time is energy because where our money goes shows our commitment or how serious we are about something. Because you know, it's like if something's offered for free, oh, people take it up. You know, you see people in a station or whatever giving away free cans of such and such, or there's some new energy bar that they're trying to, so they give it, everyone takes it. As soon as you start saying, um, that'll be a pound, please, or that'll be whatever, everyone's like, mm, well, well, let me look at the ingredients. <laughs> I've done it myself. I've just seen people giving away stuff for free and I just want it because it's free, not even because I need it. So where our money goes is is really a statement about our intent, our seriousness, our commitment. And also, just as a side note, um, I heard this the other day and I thought it was really interesting. How we spend our money is a vote for the kind of world we want. And I thought that was really interesting because as much as we can talk a great talk about what should and shouldn't be done in all kinds of issues that affect our world, how we appropriate, not just our money actually, but our time as well, but how we appropriate these resources is a bigger statement than any meme or conversation, you know, that you might have with people. And so money is energy and your money always goes in the areas of what's important to you. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily you're spending it in wise ways. But what that means is if you look at how you're spending your money, you will see what your priorities are. When I think of that, it reminds me of when I was in my 20s. And I'll, I'll sort of elaborate on this period of, of my life and how it relates to money in a, in a sec. But when I was in my 20s, I sort of had this realization as I was approaching sort of the end of my 20s of like, wow, I have got nothing to show <laughs> for all this money I've earned because I was in a nine to five job. I did have a regular salary and I had nothing to show for it. Where my money was going was on alcohol, on going out, on meals out, on maybe the odd holiday, but not, I didn't holiday as much as, you know, the amount of money that I was earning would have allowed me to. And that was a statement about what was important to me at the time. So just because how we spend our money is a statement about what's important to us, it doesn't mean that the things that are important to us are important. <laughs> Or the things that, you know, the important, the things that we're spending our money on are actually important things. That was more just about where I was at the time. And I needed to go through that to get to the other side. The, the other thing about money as well is that as with energy, it can kind of get stuck and blocked. So it's like, there's a lot of, I would say, money blockages in the world, i.e. rich people sitting on mountains of cash. 
because they've said if all the billionaires in the world were to um, finance ending world poverty um, and hunger, they would be able to do it two or three times over. So money needs to move, which is why when an economy is buoyant, when the individuals have cash in their pockets, the whole economy is buoyant, not when the rich folks have money, but when everybody's got a little bit of cash, because people like spending money. That's just the way we are. People who have less money are, <laughs> are better at keeping money flowing than people who have more, it seems. One thing that I, I realized um, when I was living in the States, because the tipping thing is a real um, culture shock for people who don't have that as part of their society. For example, in, in the UK, we don't have a huge tipping culture. So being expected to give money to people um, for services that in the UK you would just get because you just paid for them. You don't have to give extra on top. It was a real sort of like culture shock. And a lot of Brits do struggle with that. I, I, <laughs> I'm i the sort of person who just panics or and doesn't want to appear tight. So I end up always giving people more. But there's also a little bit of resentment because you're just like, oh gosh, in the UK, you can go to the pub, get a drink and you don't have to worry about like giving them extra money on top of paying for the drink because they're getting paid. But after a while in the US, because I knew that it wasn't going anywhere because I didn't like it or I, did, I couldn't get wrap my head around it. And so what I realized was tipping in the US, particularly because it's such a high percentage of money that you have to give, it's like 20% is like a, a reasonable tip, you know. Tipping is a way of keeping money moving. It's a way of keeping energy flowing. And once I sort of accepted that and got that, then it made it much easier to do. I don't need to sit on this money I am not in a sort of low income job, so I can help keep money flowing by tipping at the appropriate amount. So that's just um, a few things about money. But like I said, it is such an emotive subject. It brings up so much. The place to start, I feel, is like, what is your personal relationship with money? When you think about money, what emotions come up? What do you think of when you think of either having lots of money or not having money or when you consider your own uh, financial situation? Do you associate fear with it? Fear of losing it? Do you associate awkwardness of, you know, some people are really uncomfortable with the discussion of money? Do you feel guilt? I know I know some people who were brought up in quite sort of um like austere um, family environments where you know, money was vulgar almost like the discussion of money was vulgar. So there's some now guilt associated with it or shame even, which is actually like even a deeper energy than, than guilt and embarrassment. When it comes to managing your finances, do you put your head in the sand? Uh, when it comes to sort of being organized around money, do you want more of it? Do you find it troublesome? We all have um, a particular relationship with money. And I cannot overstate enough how important it is to be conscious of what that relationship is. Because I think a lot of us, our relationship with lots of different areas of our life are so automatic that we never question them. But yet sometimes we'll get frustrated with the fact that things don't change without looking at what are the core beliefs I have about that particular thing to allow things to change. Like if you really looked at your relationship with money, you would see that you have some certain values that you've never questioned. Like it's something that never comes my way. It's something that other people have. It's something that I need more of to do the things that I want to do. 
It's something I'll never have enough of. It's something I'm just not good at managing. Do you know what I mean? Like we've all got certain beliefs about what money is to us. And then when that is your belief, from there, it makes it very difficult for your relationship with money or money to occur in your space in any other way. Because your orientation is towards, well, money never comes my way. So when money does come your way, it slips through your fingers because you've got this core belief. You think about um, when people win the lottery, how often, especially when they big wins, right? Like we're talking millions, not like the mega millions, because that's very hard to um, <laughs> get rid of all that money as quickly. But when people say win 10 million, how often are they broke within a few years? Because they spend, 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 spend. And they spend because their core belief about money and them is that they don't have much, which is, you know, probably one of the motivations of having them even buy a lottery ticket in the first place. So it's not a surprise that after a few years, having bought a luxury home, forgetting how much it costs to maintain a home of that size, bought luxury vehicles, forgetting that they depreciate the moment you drive them off the lot, you know, giving money to friends and family. Uh, all the things that that happen when somebody has a big win like that and they end up right back where they started and worse because they had it and they lost it all because they have these core beliefs around money. Well, we're all doing, that's an extreme version, but we're all doing a version of that. Whatever it is we believe, it's almost like we're a magnet and our relationship with money is the magnetic field. And the iron filings, I guess, are the money. I'm not sure if this analogy is working, but you get the idea that our beliefs are what orientates and shapes our relationship with so many things, including money. Now, so that's the bad news, <laughs> especially if you don't have a great relationship with money. It's like, oh my God, I'm like this magnet drawing bad luck or, you know, bad, bad relationship with money to my, to my being. It's all down to me. Well, yes, it's down to you in a sense of it's your responsibility. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Um, that's the bad news. The good news is it can all be reprogrammed, unlearned, relearned so that you can have a more worthwhile and fulfilling relationship with money. You just have to put in the work because I think because we don't put consciousness to it, we don't put in the work. But as soon as we start to do that, a new relationship is possible. Gosh, yeah, I can tell this is going to be a two, three parter. Hi there, my name is David Jesse and you are listening to Creative Source with the wonderful Andy Osha. But how about what you guys have to say? So Gwynnifer, back by demand, she says, um, money is such a difficult topic for me because uh, one has to organise so much stuff that I don't know about if I want to sell my art. Uh, her sister has a book but she says that writers have to pay for the release. So I guess if, if she's talking about um, doing a self-publication uh, or if you just want to sell a drawing on Instagram, you have to pay taxes. Um, and so all this prevents her from doing it. I'm reading that comment and going I hope you don't mind me using you as an example, but you see how Gwyneth's kind of outlook on money is that it's problematic that whatever you do, even if it benefits you, like making a sale, getting your book out, there's niggling problematic elements to do with financial organization that are so 
disagreeable that it isn't worth proceeding or it's too hard to proceed or it's confusing as how to proceed. So this is, again, an example of how our relationship with money can really get in the way of what we really deep down long to achieve. And like I've said before, is if experiencing that confusion, doubt, not wanting to to deal with it becomes so powerful, it just will stop us actually realising our goals and dreams. So I just want to say thank you again to you guys who have supported this podcast. And I want to take a moment just to speak about how you can support. Now, um, sharing with fellow creatives and commenting on the uh, social media posts is so, so lovely because it lets me know that you guys are not only listening in, but appreciating and finding useful the things that are being discussed. But there is also another way that you can get involved. And I think as we're talking about money, it is uh, a, probably a fitting place for me to speak to you about ways that you can financially support the podcast. So all podcasts are available for free. I don't, I don't think anyone puts them behind paywalls, but podcasts aren't necessarily free to produce. There's technical stuff that has to be taken care of. There's marketing sides of things, production, you know, so it does cost a little bit of money and I know times are hard, but it would be really appreciated if it works for you to make a one-off contribution, if that's what works, or if you're feeling flush to become a monthly supporter on Patreon. This podcast isn't about me making a profit at all. It's just, uh, it'd be great to cover the costs of producing it. So I would love it if by the end of these three shows about money, I could get a couple more Patreon followers, a few more um, one-off donations, which you can make via Acast. Or if you prefer, uh, you can get a personalized video via Cameo for yourself, for a loved one, say happy birthday or good luck with your exams or whatever it is. I'll say whatever you want me to really within reason, guys. And all the proceeds go to supporting the podcast. I will talk about anything, but it's going towards the podcast. So thank you for indulging me and letting me just say that and don't feel under any pressure. This is this is a obviously totally voluntary thing. And I will make this podcast for all of us, regardless of whether there's um, financial support or not, because it's not about that at all. But because we're talking about money, I got to bring that stuff up, right? So that's more like an intro to money. And as I said, I would say a little bit more about my own relationship with it. So growing up, it was a single parent household. My mum didn't have like a huge amount of money and she worked really hard to make sure that we had the things that we needed. We didn't always necessarily have the things we wanted, but we had the things we needed. Now, as an adult, I can fully appreciate everything that she did and that she gave us and she gave up for us. But as a child, my experience became, you just can't have nice things. And so that set in motion a way of thinking about money that would have a lifespan of a good couple of decades. So scroll forward to um, 16 and I get my first job. I worked at McDonald's on Warren Street in London. And that first paycheck that hit my account, i never forget, it was £88. Um, <laughs> I think I was earning like three quid an hour or 270 or something like that. Anyway, I got eight, 
£88. And the minute I was aware that the money was in my account, I remember I went straight to a super drug and I bought loads of cosmetics, some of which I ended up having like five years later because I didn't need any of this stuff. I was buying shoes and clothes and makeup and stuff and stuff and stuff. And even I remember a friend of mine saying to me, like, she she noticed the change in me <laughs> because I was sort of dressing more um, in fashion, as it were, because it had been such an uphill struggle to try and get fashionable clothes when my mum was paying for them because it wasn't, you know, she was trying to be practical about where to spend the little money that she had and me being catwalk ready <laughs> was not a priority. And so, yeah, that relationship with money went on for uh, quite a long time where I just if I wanted something, I would have it. I remember buying a pair of trainers that I really wanted and they didn't even fit, but I wanted them so much that I would just buy stuff all the time. I just had so much stuff. And I know I said earlier, like at the end of my twenties, I didn't have anything to show for it, uh, show for the money I'd earned. Well, I had stuff, you know, I had loads of clothes and I had loads of makeup and things like that, but I didn't have any investment. I didn't have any savings. I hadn't bought a property. I, all I had was liabilities rather than things that were going to earn money for me or appreciate in value. And the turning point, I started to get it together towards the end of my my 20s. Um, but I have to say, shout out to my cousin, Bissy, because she gave me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you guys know this book, you will know that it can change it. <laughs> I don't want to overguess it, but you it can change your life because it lays out some really core principles about money that I had never thought about. And the premise of the book, it, it's, a, it's a nonfiction book. So it's written by this guy. And he said, um, he basically uh, described his dad as his poor dad in the sense of like, his dad's attitude was very much get security, get a sensible job, uh, save some money, take a holiday every now and again, uh, you know, that type of thing. Where his, his rich dad was actually the father of a friend of his and his attitude was invest, start your own business, be an entrepreneur, blah, 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 that type of thing. And so he really learned to draw a distinction between those two attitudes and what that means for your financial prospects if you follow the poor dad mentality as opposed to the rich dad mentality. Now, I would argue that most of us have a poor dad mentality and I won't go too much into detail. You have to read the book, but it is really great. And I recommend it to anyone who is struggling around finances just to get a grip of the reins of their finances. Caveat, it was written about 20 odd years ago. So if there's anything in it that d doesn't make sense or doesn't fit anymore, um, <laughs> don't blame me. But, you know, the, the book itself is just such so illuminating. And so my cousin uh, gave me this book because I don't know why she must have intuited that I, because I don't remember having a conversation with her saying that I was struggling with money or that not, I wasn't even struggling. I was just not, not organized. And I didn't even think of it being any other way. So, so I, you know, at the worst of it, I was doing that thing where I maxed out my credit cards, taking loans to pay off my credit cards. When I was 16, I started a savings. I don't know what you call it, like a savings bond or something. One of those things where you put money in, but you're not allowed to take it out until it matures. And because I got myself in so much debt, when it matured 10 years later, all I could do was use it to pay off debt, which was really disappointing. I mean, in a way, it was good that I had money that came in that I could pay off my student loans and pay off debts and stuff. But in another way, it was like that could have been money that had that moved me forward rather than just gave me a level playing field. 
So I was kind of disappointed with myself that I had like such poor financial management. But it wasn't really until I got this book that I really got a sense of how I was failing myself by not taking my money situation more seriously. But when it really came into contrast for me was when I started acting. So I, um, after I left my full time, well, actually I was made redundant, which by the way, was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I would argue that sometimes those things that feel like a, a terrible occurrence are actually a gift. And to me, it was a gift because I really started to think, what do I actually want? Do I want to be an employee? And then I started working as a freelance. Well, of course, I was still working in television post-production, so I was still behind the camera. So I still had a regular income, but the contracts were now finite. They were, I wasn't open-ended, you know, an open-ended employee. I was on um, six months or three months or whatever, and then I was out. So I had to start managing my money because I didn't have the same guarantees that I had when I was salaried. And then I started acting. Wow. That is when it went down because that's when I really had to start managing my money. And I really got into this situation where I was a broker. (laughs) Am I using that word right? I was more broke than I'd ever been, but I was the most financially astute I had been in my life to that point because I had to be. I managed to get myself a mortgage. So so I had to start delivering. I had to start being um, accountable for myself in a way that I never had before. You know how people say, oh, that person's dis- so disconnected because they don't know the price of milk or they don't know the price of a loaf of bread. I knew it all. I, and I knew what I could afford to eat and what I couldn't. My eating got so simple because I just couldn't afford to eat anything that was fancy and get like fancy uh, fish. Are you kidding me? Like I wasn't living that baller lifestyle. (laughs) I was, I worked in a pub. I was a tequila girl at one point. I was freelancing on reception desks. I was doing all those sort of like survival jobs to be able to facilitate my acting, but it meant I was absolutely broke. And for the first time in my life, financially free, riddle me that. But as always, it is not just about what I think. Here's some sound words from Roisin Connerty talking about money. Money, money, money. I think, you know, if you're from a poorer working class background, it's pretty hard at the beginning when you're trying to get launch a creative endeavour, be it writing or performing or acting, because you need money to pay your bills. And so you probably won't have as much time as someone who's from a wealthy background to spend rehearsing or writing. And that's where the hustle comes in. You know, there's no way around that. You know, at this, I'm talking, you know, about, of course, there are, that it should be fairer. And I think it should be, and they should be more support in the arts and all of that stuff. But until there is, it's just grind and it's just hustle and backing yourself and using those hours that you have to try and get some, some stuff done so that you can earn money. And then, you know, when you do get stuff made, it's making sure that you know that the ideas that you you know your worth. And if you're not from those circles, that can take a while as well. And that's about asking questions and speaking to people. And people will tell you, you know, this is how much that's worth. And to make sure you protect yourself. Um, because, you know, uh, <laughs> you're bringing a lot of ideas to the table and just making sure that you do get paid um, in the right way. So good agents and good managers uh, are useful. And uh, working with decent people who aren't trying to rip you off. And you get to know those. You can smell them out.
Yeah, Roshin's absolutely right. It does make a difference, the background that you come from. And, you know, without getting too bogged down in uh, inequalities, it makes a difference if you have uh, a certain stability, which doesn't uh, require you to earn a regular income on top of trying to launch a career. Because when your career first starts, a lot of money is going to be going out rather than coming in as you start to create the foundation for your creativity. There were actually quite a lot of really useful topics that Roisin touched on there. Roisin, of course, who is the creator and star of Game Face and Afterlife and David Brent Life on the Road and a load of other things and also a fantastic stand up. She touched on a number of things that I'm going to have to put into future episodes because this is such a big topic. But bear with me, guys, because I think it's such a big part of our lives. I think it is worth sort of just going through and just really breaking down our relationship with it, because to be a professional creative, you still have to get paid. It can't just be for the love of it. Money's got to come in, too. And we're running businesses here by being creatives. So we need to talk about how to do that so that we can thrive in this environment and not necessarily languish in the poor artist trope because we don't have to be that. It's not a given that it needs to be that way. Now, obviously, if you get into the arts to make big bucks, you're in the wrong game. But equally, it doesn't have to be a poor man's game either. So thank you guys so much for listening this episode. And just before you go, if you would be kind enough to just check out either the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash creative source with Andy Osho, or in the show notes, there's a link where you can go to the Acast one-off support page and you can support with anything from three quid, I think it is, to 3,000, you know, if you're living that baller life. Or go to uh, Cameo. Again, in the show notes, there's a link and I will make a personalised video for you specifically the money goes to support the podcast i'll talk about whatever you want in the in the vid within reason um but the money itself is going towards supporting the podcast thank you as always to listening in to the comments and reviews and you know lovely feedback that you're giving about this podcast and i really hope that in your creative lives that you find a way to to thrive and to have money be your friend rather than this thing that you have to wrestle or that's, that causes you any difficulty. Because remember, it's just energy and energy kind of just wants to flow. And if you allow it to flow, i.e. let go of some of the beliefs that are holding you back, if you're able to let go of them, then I promise the energy and therefore the money will be able to flow more freely. All right, guys. So until next time, where we pick up the conversation about money, just keep creating and just keep living in gratitude that we're able to do this. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com I hope you enjoyed that episode of Creative Source. If you're looking for more support with your creative journey, I'm offering one-to-one online mentoring. Perhaps you want to launch a project but don't know where to start. Maybe you've got stuck around a certain issue, need some advice, or just want to bounce ideas around. Whatever it is, I'm here. Just hit the Patreon link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash creative source with Andy Osho to find out more.